Oh my goodness, I was so enjoying those worship songs. That was fun to go back a little bit and tap into some of my, my uh, younger years. I love those, those uh, what do they call them, right? Golden oldies, right? Is that the deal? Well, I have been uh, thoroughly enjoying our journey through Luke, and this morning I want to um, encourage you, grab your Bibles, um, and uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk you through actually chapter 22 today. Um, I'm coming at you from the New King James Version, um, so uh, if you have that one on hand, you could grab that, and I know many of you are gathered in living rooms across the valley, which I'm super excited about, and so you'll get an opportunity to do a little page churning today, so we're going to go old school, so go ahead and open up your Bibles to uh, Luke chapter 22, and, um, and uh, I'm going to pray, and we're going to dive right in. Father, thank you so much for giving us your word. Thank you, Lord, that your scriptures are a two-edged sword and that your word goes into our heart and it says, in fact, that that it even discerns the motives of our own hearts. And Lord, I pray that today as we look at your scriptures, this living, active word, that you'd go deep in our hearts and you would empower us in the places where we need empowered, correct us in the places where we need corrected. And Lord, where our motives are mixed, would you show us, Lord, which ones are are the great motives that are coming from a heart that's wanting to learn from you and which motives are still preserving our own self and maybe our own kingdom, our own opinions above yours. And I pray that you would give us the grace to be humbled by your word, humbled by your love, humbled by your kingdom and to learn from you, Jesus. And in any place where there is a conflict that we would humble ourselves and say, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. We ask that in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, in chapter 22, verses 1 through 6, I'm just going to go ahead and read that. Let's read that together. Now, the feast of unleavened bread drew near, which is called Passover. And the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might kill him, for they feared the people. Then Satan entered Judas, surnamed Iscariot, who was numbered among the twelve. And so he went his way and conferred with the chief priests and captains how he might betray him to them. And they were glad and agreed to give him money. So he promised and sought opportunity to betray him to them in the absence of the multitude. I want you to catch what just happened there. Did you hear what just happened? Satan just entered Judas. It says Satan entered Judas, and then Judas engaged in a conspiracy with the government officials to kill Jesus as soon as they could get him out of the absence of the multitude because they were afraid of the multitude. There was a political intrigue that was going on that involved the prince of darkness who just entered a man who was one of God's most trusted people, one of the 12 people that were with Jesus to conspire to murder the Son of God. Now come with me to the very next section that we see, verse 14 through 23. I want to read this. It says, And when the hour had come, he sat down and the twelve apostles with him. And then he said to them, With fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took the cup and he gave thanks and he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. This is what we just did when we took communion. This is what we do is to commemorate this. He says, for I say to you, verse 18, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, 
gave thanks and broke it, and he gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. But behold, the hand of my betrayer is with me on the table. And truly the Son of Man goes as it has been determined. But woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And then they began to question among themselves which of them it was who would do this thing. So again, I want you to catch this. Here it is in the middle of this conspiracy. Satan is actually at this table right now inside of Judas. You need to think about this for a minute. Jesus is coming to bring his father's kingdom. Satan has entered Judas who is conspiring to murder Jesus. There's political intrigue and a conspiracy that's happening amongst his most trusted people. And in that moment, Jesus is saying to them, I have fervently desired, I've been looking forward to, to having this meal with you. Jesus is in no way um, lacking in confidence. You notice that he's still moving forward with what he's been called to do by his father, even in the midst of the most dark of things that's going on in that moment. One would think, and I think if you and I were in the same situation, that if you knew that actually the prince of darkness was there at the table and fulfilling the plan to murder you through intrigue, that you would be doing something completely different, and yet Jesus is showing us a more superior way in the midst of it, even sitting at the table with his own betrayer. In fact, it says, then it goes on, look at this verse 24 and 27. So not only are things pretty bad, but then in the middle of that, with the betrayer at the table, it says, verse 24, now there was also a dispute among them as to which of them should be considered the greatest. So you have all of this going on, and then in the middle of it, you have the disciples start breaking into an argument that they keep having over and over again, by the way. And that's basically like, which one of us should be the most influential? Who should be the most powerful? Who should be the political leader amongst us? Which one of us should set the policies for this kingdom that's coming? How much power should we have, and who has the most power? We know that you're the son of God, so we know that we're, if we're with you, we should also be really powerful. And which one of us, Lord, is the greatest? They're arguing with each other in the middle of it. The betrayer's there at the table. All of these things are going crazy, and then even his own closest people start arguing amongst themselves and saying, well, if I just have more power, that's what's really important. Who's got the power? And Jesus says to them, verse 25, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. And those who exercise authority over them are called benefactors, but not so among you. On the contrary, he who is greatest among you, let him be as the younger, and he who governs as he who serves. For who is greater, he who sits at the table or he who serves? Is it not he who sits at the table? Yet I I'm among you as the one who serves. Jesus is speaking to them in the middle of this, and he's saying, you think this is about power. You think this is about which one of you should have more power in order to bring my kingdom. But I'm telling you that I'm the greatest, and I've created all things, and I've come to serve, and I'm asking you to do likewise. You see, your understanding of how power dynamics work of how my kingdom is extending and what virtue and what redemption actually looks like. You think it has to do with you having all the power, but I'm telling you I have all the power and my kingdom comes by how I serve and look at how I'm serving. 
What an amazing thing. And remember again, this is, this is in the midst of the betrayer being there, of Satan in the midst of pulling off the greatest conspiracy of all time, which is to murder the Son of God who's come to redeem us. And Jesus is still unswerving from what he's doing. He's still focusing on going exactly where God has called him to go. And he's still discipling the believers right there in that moment while they're failing epically. He's in the hardest time of his life. The people closest to him are totally missing it. And here's Jesus still patiently, lovingly, with kindness and confidence, he's still, even in the face of with Satan at the table with him, is totally unmoved by these things. And he says to them, I want you to serve like I'm serving. I want you to understand how my kingdom works and what authority actually looks like in action. He's, he's, you know, he's marvelous is what he is. And so, and so it continues. So, so are, you, are you getting this picture? I think you're feeling this, right? You're feeling like, what would you and I do in this situation? We would be stressed out. We would be thinking, you know, this communion thing's pretty good. Let's have a couple more glasses of communion, Jesus. I need to calm down. There's betrayer at the table. The, the, the government is getting ready to overthrow our whole entire plan. In fact, there's a conspiracy between one of our people to betray our very leader, and our leader knows about it, but we don't even know who it is, and Jesus seems apparently super chill about this. And then in the middle of it, they're going, well, then maybe one of us needs to be the greatest. Maybe if we have all the power, maybe if we can lead in this certain way, and here's Jesus right in the center of it saying, no, 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 I want you to understand, I have all authority. And I've come to serve. And then further, he goes further. And this, this is beautiful. Come with me right now to verse 31. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I've prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brothers. What, what an amazing thing that's happening here. And, and you, you, you have to understand this. Do you remember at one point when Satan came to, to, to tempt Jesus? And it says that he fled because he had nothing in Jesus. What you need to understand here is that Satan had something in Peter. Satan had a hook in Peter. You see, Peter was very interested in power. Peter was very interested in ego. Peter was, Peter was very interested in pride and being right and getting it right. And I think you and I can identify with that very same thing. And in those places where we can be provoked to anger and this self-righteous thing, we call it righteous anger or what have you. And there are times for that. But, but the scriptures actually tell us, be angry and sin not. In fact, it says, do not be filled with wrath. It only brings a snare. Psalm 37. Peter was easily filled with wrath. Peter was filled with this idea of righteous indignation and how he was going to get control and he was going to lead and he knew what was best. And Jesus had to rebuke Peter many times and thank God for Peter because Peter always took it. He learned. He would humble himself and he would learn, but Satan is coming and saying, listen, I have some pride in Peter. I have an open door in Peter. In fact, I have a right to Peter because Peter is filled with ambition Peter wants to be the most powerful. Peter understands the promises, but he wants to do it his own way. And you need to give him to me because you know what? I got a foothold here. I got a hook in Peter. And Jesus says, I'm not going to give you Peter. In fact, I'm praying for Peter. And after he has failed Satan, because he will fail, he's going to strengthen his brothers. Out of his failure, I'm praying for him. And he is going to be humbled, but he is not going to be yours. 
And here's Jesus in the middle of all of this pressure, and again, in the middle of this pandemic that's happening in in Jerusalem. This pandemic that's happening in the world where the prince of darkness has entered his inner cabinet and is getting ready to shut down the Son of God. And Jesus is here, and he is confident, and he is calm, and he is moving forward with the promises of his Father. And even when the people around him are responding in all the ways that he understands and that honestly that you and I, when the way that we respond when we're in the midst of these pressures and these very real things by very wicked people, even Satan himself, and Jesus is still coming and saying, but I'm praying for you. And after you have fallen down, get back up because I'm not gonna give you to Satan. I'm not going to give you over to Satan. And when you have failed, get up and strengthen your brothers and sisters. Look at the beauty of what God's doing in the midst of this. Look at the heart of Jesus who's saying, and he said at the, at the beginning of this, do you remember what he said? I have fervently looked forward to having this meal with you guys because you know what it means? It means that my kingdom has come. He says, remember he said that? He said, listen, When I eat this again, it will be in the fullness of the kingdom. It will be in the kingdom. I'm looking forward to bringing these things to pass. So he strengthens Peter, even though Peter's going to deny him. You know, I want to mention, by the way, in Luke 12, verse 9, just earlier, Jesus had told the disciples, if you deny me before men, I will deny you before my father. And here's Peter, and he's saying, Peter, you're going to deny me before men, but I've actually prayed for you, and I'm not going to deny you in front of my Father. I'm praying for you. I'm going to forgive you, and I'm going to restore you, even though I know you're going to fail. This is the Jesus that we serve. This This is how he deals with us. That's why we actually can embrace that beautiful phrase. I love it, right? That failure is simply feedback. Jesus is telling Peter, Peter, your understanding of how power works is going to absolutely fail you, but I'm not going to reject you. I want you to learn from it, and after you've failed, I want you to learn from this, and I want you to do it differently and become the servant of all. Satan has hooks in you because you think you understand how power works, but I'm telling you, if you will become the servant of all, then you will be carrying authority the way that I carry it, but I'm not giving you over to Satan. You can get back up. A righteous man falls seven times, but he gets back up. And for some of us right now, today's our day to go, I've been misunderstanding how this works, and I need to get back up. I thought it was all about anger, and I need to get back up. I thought it was all about me getting filled with anger and telling people, and Jesus saying, no, I want you to serve, and I want you to pray, and I want you to be confident. Let me keep unpacking this. So Jesus goes from this place, And this is all happening now. The conspiracy is coming together. It's built momentum. Satan and Judas have gotten together. Satan is inside of Judas at this point. And we know that Judas brings then the political powers. He brings the government to them. He brings the scribes. He brings the Pharisees, the leaders of that city, the political powers of that city. And he brings them and he says to Jesus, he he greets him. Jesus says to him, Judas, will you betray me with a kiss? And so even as this is happening, Jesus, in the midst of this, does something extraordinary. One of the followers of Jesus pulls out a sword to defend Christ in that moment. And he cuts off the ear. He cuts off the ear of one of the servants. Let me just read this to you. 
It says, when those around him, verse 49, saw what was going on and what was going to happen, they said to him, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus answered and said, permit even this. And he touched his ear and he healed him. Did you see what just happened? They were defending Jesus from being betrayed into the hands of men. They were pulling out the sword to fight against the government as the government overreached to kill the Son of God. And Jesus said, stop, permit even this. And he heals the one who was struck down with the sword of one of his followers. And we know what happens at this point. We know that Jesus then goes before the powers that be, stands before the courts of that land. And in fact, come with me to verse 67. In this total miscarriage of justice, they say to him, if you are the Christ, verse 67, if you are the Christ, tell us. But he said to them, if I tell you, you will by no means believe. And if I also ask you, you will by no means answer me or let me go. 69, listen to this verse. Jesus speaking says, Hereafter, the Son of Man will sit on the right hand of the power of God. And then they all said, Are you then the Son of God? And so he said to them, You rightly say that I am. 69, listen to that verse. He said, Hereafter, the Son of Man will sit on the right hand of the power of God. Hereafter, the Son of Man will sit on the right hand of the power of God. And then we know what happens. Jesus is then given over and he dies. And in the greatest betrayal of all time, and the greatest conspiracy of all time, pulled off and perpetrated by the greatest government in the land, conspiring with the highest powers of religion in the land, entered with by Satan himself, is carried out on Jesus. And in what seems to be the greatest victory over God, he turns it and destroys death and sin and fear and shame for all of time. Here after the Son of Man is sitting on the right hand of the power of God in the midst of what looked like the greatest betrayal and the most out-of-control situation, Jesus made a spectacle of Satan and all the powers of hell. Jesus redeemed you and I by dying the death that we deserve to die, living the life that we should have lived, and redeeming all things. And even in it, leading captives, leading captives in his train into freedom and hereafter. And by the way, we're in hereafter. In fact, right now, according to this scripture, according to the words of Jesus, the one who, the firstborn who came from the dead, raised by the power of the Holy Spirit, God himself defeating Satan and every power of darkness and even death and giving us eternal life. The one who Jesus, Jesus, the one who the Father sent, the Son of God, he has now been seated at the right hand of the power of God. That's where we live right now. 
What an extraordinary place that we live. What a glory and a, and a space that we get to live in. I, I want to read you a paraphrase of what we just read about. Come with me to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. We're going to read verses 26 through 39. And it's just going to summarize the, the thing that we just learned. Listen to this. Now, now realize this, in the midst of this, people are being led to the slaughter, they're being killed. In fact, it's going to speak about that. This is in a very real time where a very real government is oppressing the believers, is overstepping and doing terrible, drastic things, and they, and they don't know what's going to happen, and they're saying, what do we do? And the author speaks to the Romans and reminds us of what Jesus just said, that he's seated at the right hand of the power of God. Now listen to this. He begins by saying, Likewise, the Spirit also helps us in our weaknesses, for we don't know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. How many of us right now, you, you don't know what to pray? Well, that's okay. He understands that we don't always know what to pray. His believers didn't know what to pray. The disciples didn't know what to do. They thought they were supposed to take a sword out and fight the man. And when they did, Jesus goes, stop. That's not what we're doing. I'm redeeming the whole world. You think your tiny little sword is going to save it? Watch what my father has in mind. And he heals the one that he struck, so it's not the sword. Then Peter in that moment is saying, oh, what we need is we need to take the power back. We need to take the political power. We need to raise and be the greatest. And Jesus says, no, if you want to be the greatest, then you serve like I'm here to serve. And you lay your life down and watch what my father has done. And when those powers that be stood before Jesus and said, we know what's best. In fact, we're going to kill you. He said, listen, after today, I will be at the right hand of the power of God. Now watch how this power continues. It says that he makes intercession and we pray, so the same Spirit of God helps us to pray the right prayers and come into the place of agreement with his kingdom. And now he who searches the hearts, verse 27, he knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things... All things, we know that all things, all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. That's you, saints. That's me, saints. That's us, saints. For whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. You and I have been called, all of us that will choose him have been called to be like Jesus, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. That's us. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he called. Whom he called, he also justified. Whom he justified, he also glorified. He's doing that right now. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us, for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died, and furthermore, he is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Hereafter, I will be at the right hand of the power of God. And here in Romans, he's testifying to it. He's saying, in the midst of all things, he's working to your good, and he sits at the right hand of God, and he's making intercession that nothing can stop the purposes of God. 
Who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword, or social distancing, or COVID, or fear, or conspiracy theories? But as it is written, for your sake we're killed all day long, we're accounted as sheep for the slaughter, yet... In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor the American government, or the Illuminati, or any other thing, real or imagined, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Do we believe this, or are we afraid? You see, this is what it comes down to for us right now. The imaginations of our heart are shaped by what we believe. Do we believe that Jesus Christ told the truth when he said, hereafter, I will be seated at the right hand of the power of God. Do we believe that Jesus Christ meant what he said when he said all things will work together for your good? When he said, I will come and do the will of my Father. When he gave us the opportunity to trust in him, do we believe it? If we believe it, that we understand that he will work through both the wicked and the good for his purposes because he is in charge. When we understand this, then we're able to rest and allow the peace of God that passes all understanding to guard our hearts even in the midst of having leaders that might not be of our political party or having decisions that we don't agree with or maybe even understand If Jesus can sit at the table with Satan himself, who has filled Judas, who is betraying him, and say, permit even this, for my Father will work it to good. And even in the midst of not even understanding how it worked, the disciples were redeemed along with all of us. How much more, now that Christ has risen, will he not work all things to good right now? So the question is, saints, will we believe in Jesus Christ? and trust him to work this to good. And if we don't, simply repent from it. The Bible says this, the wrath of man does not bring about the righteous requirements of God. Do not give in to wrath, it only brings a snare. What you must understand is the Holy Spirit is giving us prayers to pray right now, and they are mighty. And in the same way that Jesus prayed for Peter, who is going to deny him and brought him to salvation, God hears our prayers and teaches us to intercede, that we would see both those that are being wicked and those that are righteous but are sinning right now turn from those things and be saved as God's desire and will would be. We have no reason to be perplexed or afraid for Jesus Christ seated at the right hand of God. And this is our opportunity to say, Lord, not my will be done, but your will be done, for you will work all things to good. And at the end of this season and every season, and finally when you bring it all together, Lord, when every tongue, tribe, and nation has heard the good news of the gospel, you will redeem all things with a new heaven and a new earth. Therefore, I will not be afraid, for Jesus Christ is seated at the right hand of the power of God.
Let's pray. Father, we come before you right now, aware of our own frailty. Some of us are like Peter and we're denying you, really. We're sort of like, we're sort of like Christians, but when it comes to fearful times, we turn into like functional agnostics or atheists, where we suddenly need to take up the sword and fight, or we make promises that we can't keep in the midst of it, or we, we come up with all these other fearful expectations. We try to be the greatest in the room. But Lord, help us to remember and to trust you. Right now, we just ask that you would direct our hearts, Lord, wherever we need to repent from something, then let us repent from it and say, I want to turn away from that. And where we need to repent unto something, that you are the Lord. And therefore, our trust and our peace is well-founded. Wherever we are, Lord, by your Holy Spirit, show us where we need to course correct. Thank you that in your mercy you show us when we're wrong. You're such a good God. Show us where we're wrong. And let us pray your prayers that your kingdom would come, that your will would be done. And in obedience to you, Lord, we lift up our leaders. We pray that the truth of what's going on right now would come to the light and that our leaders would be empowered by you to make decisions that will bring about the purposes of your kingdom because you are indeed seated at the right hand of God, working all things to our good. And in this and in you we trust in Jesus' name. Have mercy on us, God. Amen. You guys have a great Sunday. We love you. I hope you enjoyed meeting together in homes. Keep inviting people over, and uh, let's, let's enjoy this season. It's going to be over soon. Love you guys.